What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. On January 16, 2004, two employees from a local utility company had been working through the night on a downed power pole when they decided to take a break for some breakfast. As they drove to the diner where they were planning to meet two co-workers, one of them saw a green Toyota Land Cruiser down a steep ravine parked so close to a creek that its tires were actually in the water. As a hunter, he thought it was probably someone staking out the creek for deer, so the men continued on to get some breakfast. On their way back, the Land Cruiser was in the same spot and the utility workers decided to pull over and check it out. When they made it to the vehicle, the engine was still running and there was a set of footprints leading away from the vehicle. If someone left to get help, it was strange that they would have left the vehicle running. When they got close enough to the Land Cruiser, they could see blood on the outside of the vehicle. When one of them looked into the window, they saw a woman, covered in blood, slumped over. He yelled back at his co-worker, quote, There's some dead lady in the truck. Get help. This is Monsters. In 1989, Jonathan Nice was a growing entrepreneur who had everything he could have wanted in his life. At nearly 40 years old, he was growing a business selling a drug to cure asthma after spending years researching and implanting the idea with his team. As the head researcher, he was spending every day trying new methods and experiments, and his business was growing quite well. He was also gaining respect from the community of scientists working around him as the leader of his company that stood out in the industry. Jonathan's work was well noted across the country, and his dedication was definitely recognized. It had taken years for Jonathan to get to this point in his life, and if it weren't for his hard work, he would have never made it to be so successful. He had studied for many years as a young adult, and then put those skills to work in the lab for many more years before he could be in charge of his own projects. By the time he was starting his research for his novel asthma treatment, Jonathan had already poured years of his life into his profession and had missed out on many other parts. He skipped over the phases of partying and dating and instead went straight into the workforce. There were some parts of his life that were not as well developed as his research. Although Jonathan had a growing career and gained a promising reputation for himself, he had never been really great with women. He didn't have a girlfriend, nor did he typically express any interest in women that he knew. Some would argue that he was perhaps too into his own work to have time outside of the lab for flirting or dating, but maybe he chose to spend his energy wisely. He often worked until midnight and would spend time at home alone on the weekends meaning he didn't really have time to pursue any of his outside interests. Jonathan's job was what he truly cared about, and his social life easily came second. 
As a researcher, though, Jonathan took his own path when he decided that a wife was what he wanted next. He had seen success in his career and the investments into his business were coming fast. But at the same time, he was starting to become lonely at home and he was getting to the age where he wanted a family to rely on. After years of growing success in research, Jonathan began to think that it would be nice for him to have a wife to come home to at the end of the day. But Jonathan wasn't confident enough to approach women he knew in real life, and he wasn't interested in trying out dating apps. So he did what he knew best and began to find new ways to meet women online. Since research was his forte, he used this to his advantage outside of the lab as well. Then one day, one of Jonathan's colleagues introduced him to a program that allowed him to have a pen pal. All of these pen pal options were overseas, so none of them would be women that he knew nearby, which took a big weight off of his shoulders. Jonathan felt less nervous dating someone he didn't know in real life, at least at the beginning. Most of the women in the magazine John's friend recommended were from the Philippines, looking for husbands who could provide them with the rich, luxurious life they had always hoped for. For someone like Jonathan, this was the perfect chance for him to meet someone without the added pressure of typical American dating. He knew he had the money to make a wife happy if they wanted to be with him for what he could offer. So Jonathan scoped the magazine for a while, looking for a woman who might finally catch his eye. It didn't take long for Jonathan to see Michelle's photo and to immediately take a liking to her. Michelle was a young-looking Filipino girl featured in the Pen Pal magazine. Jonathan thought about messaging her for a while, but he was intimidated at first. He wasn't the one to make the first move, but this time, he had no choice. When Jonathan finally did reach out to Michelle, they quickly hit it off. He wasn't very woman-savvy since he really didn't have much experience in the dating world. But they managed to stay in contact for a while and Jonathan would spend time writing and speaking to her after he got off work. After about a year of getting to know each other, their relationship grew into constantly calling each other on the phone when they could, as well as sending each other letters and gifts to foster their relationship. They seemed to be very passionate about each other and before they knew it, they were both in love. The beginning of their relationship was full of romance, since neither of them had really ever been in a committed relationship before. There was one problem. Michelle was only 19 years old at the time she met Jonathan. Although this meant it was perfectly legal for them to be together, the age gap clearly meant they had different ideas of the directions their lives were heading. While Jonathan had been getting ready to settle down, Michelle hadn't had time to yet explore her life. Regardless, they were a perfect match based on their surface-level needs. Jonathan wanted a wife he could rely on and take care of, and Michelle was his ideal woman. Even as only a 19-year-old, Michelle was the diamond he was looking for. He wanted someone who would trust him and who would spend the rest of their life caring for and spending time with him. Michelle came from a very small village within the Philippines and grew up in a poor family without many things that she wanted in life. Jonathan could easily give her what she wanted. Michelle had also spent no time in the United States before meeting Jonathan, which meant that moving overseas would be a life-changing, scary experience. Ultimately, she would have no choice but to make Jonathan her biggest support. He could practically control her by offering her a means to live a better life with no one but him. But by marrying Jonathan, she would also live the perfect American dream. 
Michelle could marry the rich husband that she aspired to have, and he could give her the life she had always dreamt about, but was always so far out of reach. They would give each other exactly what they were asking for. About a year into the relationship, Jonathan took a trip to the Philippines and spent a romantic week with Michelle. They spent time getting to know each other in person, and Jonathan was able to bring Michelle on the trip of a lifetime around her own country. At the end of the week, he popped the magic question, asking her to move to America and marry him. They were both filled with warm feelings and excited to start a life together. They married shortly after and then spent some time organizing the paperwork for Michelle to immigrate to the United States to live with her new husband. Within a few months, the process was complete and Michelle packed her bags to start a new life. The first few months of living together was amazing for both of them. Michelle and Jonathan went to plenty of social events and Jonathan introduced his new wife to the few people that he did spend time with. Jonathan showed her around to all the best restaurants and stores in the city when he was able to be away from the lab. Michelle was also able to improve her English speaking and started to have a real taste of the American lifestyle. Jonathan bought her whatever she wanted without any limit and took her to the nicest places around town. To Jonathan, making Michelle happy meant spending as much money on her as needed to make sure she knew she could rely on him. Michelle felt like a princess who could have whatever she wanted. Not long after, the couple decided that they wanted to have a family. Michelle became pregnant with their first child and they set up their house to prepare for the newborn. Jonathan and Michelle decorated a nursery and bought baby clothes, toys, and house supplies. They were excited to become parents and when the baby finally arrived, they took every joyous moment graciously. At the beginning, Jonathan tried to be there as much as he could and that meant setting aside a little bit of time where he normally would have spent working. Michelle felt close to Jonathan when he was around the house more often, and especially so shortly after she had moved to the United States. She was thankful he was there with her when he could be. Not long after this, though, Jonathan's research started to take off. He had about $1 million of investments currently in his business, which meant he needed to work hard to keep more money coming in. He no longer had time to relax, nor could he just leave the office to spend time at home when Michelle wanted him to. The round of investments coming up were crucial for Jonathan, and he needed more funding to ensure his research could continue over the next few years. Jonathan had felt respected among his group of peers, but he had just a sliver of hope that it would actually grow into something bigger than just a dream to actually manufacture the drug he was experimenting with. Jonathan had a taste for what true success felt like, and he wanted that to last much longer. He also wanted to be able to give Michelle the lavish lifestyle that she had always hoped for. Jonathan knew that if he wanted her to stay with him for the rest of their lives, he would have to be willing and able to give her everything she wanted, and Michelle's wants were not cheap. She wanted to be in the nicest neighborhood with the nicest houses, eating the best food. To Michelle, the reputation that came with marrying Jonathan was a large part of what made her happy to be with him. Well, if that doesn't sound like true love, I don't know what is. As the company continued to grow, Jonathan, Michelle, and their baby moved to New Jersey. Jonathan needed to relocate in order to keep the momentum growing, but Michelle didn't mind. Coming from North Carolina, this was a big change, but Michelle was excited for all the new furnishings she'd be able to buy. They bought a big house in a beautiful neighborhood surrounded by only the wealthiest families. 
Michelle immediately took off buying the nicest furniture and amenities that she could find for their new home. The property had been purchased for about $800,000 and she quickly upgraded it by hundreds of thousands more just by the way she decorated it. She had expensive taste and she loved spending Jonathan's money. This new house featured a beautiful fountain in the driveway and all of the most expensive brands featured inside. Truly something to be envious of looking from the outside in. Six years and two more children later, Jonathan and Michelle's life in this posh New Jersey suburb was consistent with both of their goals. Jonathan worked hard to support his wife's spending habits and Michelle stayed home alone while waiting for her husband to return. Michelle felt quite lonely since Jonathan worked late hours, which meant she spent her nights alone at the house with the kids. To Michelle, it also felt like something from her life was missing. She had these big dreams of marrying rich and living the lifestyle that she always wanted, but she didn't have the freedom she yearned for. She had become pregnant so young and started her family with Jonathan very early, and she didn't get the chance to explore like she initially hoped. Michelle opened up about this to the friends she had met in the neighborhood and they all offered the same advice, to get out of the house more and meet new people, so when Jonathan was busy with work, she could be making her own memories. But Michelle never took their advice. Her friends began to notice that Jonathan seemed to be a little bit more than just controlling. Michelle was often not allowed outside of the house, even for small things like joining a gym. Instead, Jonathan would just spend his money and give her exactly what she needed inside the home. He built her a gym so that she would almost always be inside and had no reason to leave. Jonathan began to stop her from going out to see her friends unless he was with her, even for meals or errands during the day. But while Jonathan was out working past midnight, Michelle sat at home by herself, literally all day. Michelle began feeling as if she was a prisoner locked up inside a lifestyle she thought she wanted. Now that she realized what it was really like to be married to Jonathan, Michelle started to feel like she wanted out. Along with his jealous and controlling tendencies, Jonathan didn't help out around the house much. Michelle was left to care for the kids and clean and also make plans for new furnishings they would buy. Michelle had big dreams for what their home would become, so that meant that she needed to look outside for help. By the summer of 2002, Michelle decided the next project she wanted to start around the house was an improvement on the landscaping. She was able to decorate the inside on her own, but in order to complete their yard, she needed to hire an outside company to do the work. So the Nices hired and paid a landscaper $50,000 to plant trees all across their property lining the driveway and the acres surrounding their house. The head of this landscaping company was a man named Miguel de Jesus. Miguel and Michelle worked quite closely to create a design for the property, as well as pick out the plants that they were going to purchase that would best fit the look of the property. And since Jonathan was not normally home, he wasn't very involved in any of the processes that left Michelle as the main decision maker. To Michelle, Miguel had a rugged, dangerous look to him, almost the exact opposite of Jonathan. He was also from another country and English was his second language, so Michelle felt quite comfortable around him. She and Jonathan had had some differences, but Miguel seemed to understand where she had come from and sympathized with how her life had turned out. They bonded over their experiences and started to become friends, especially while he had some time to take a break from the work. 
Michelle asked Miguel for his number, and they started to talk about more than just landscaping. She learned that he lived in a small beat-up apartment with his common-law wife and their shared custody child. Michelle connected to this aspect of his life because she too felt as if she was living in a world where she couldn't be free. Where Miguel felt locked down by sharing a child with his spouse, Michelle felt as if she couldn't leave her house because Jonathan controlled her every move. Miguel caught Michelle's attention from the very start, and he even told her about how he wanted to be free and live on his own. Michelle could understand exactly where he was coming from. Later into their friendship, Michelle also found out that Miguel had a dark secret. He had quite a checkered past and wasn't living the most fabulous lifestyle. It was this dark side of him that drew Michelle in further. She wanted what she couldn't have, and learning about Miguel's background only made her want it more. When the texting began to move to in-person conversations, Miguel and Michelle started a sexual relationship, even though both of them were already in relationships. Michelle and Miguel would meet up in the dirtiest motels around the city, the ones that had rooms that you could rent by the hour. There was nothing romantic about their casual hookups, aside from the fact that Michelle wanted something she couldn't have. Jonathan was simply too busy working and traveling to even keep up with where Michelle was at most hours of the day, so it was easy for her to sneak around and have time to herself as long as she was careful. Michelle felt so lonely while she was at home that she did everything she could just to get out and be able to explore the city on her own. The controlling, jealous appetite of Jonathan caused Michelle to act out more than either of them even expected. Michelle and Miguel would meet most nights before Jonathan came home from work. A nanny was at the house to watch over the kids and Michelle would only be gone for an hour or two. She would usually have some type of excuse, like she was going to meet her girlfriends or she needed to run some errands. But to Jonathan, Michelle was at the house, spending time with her kids each and every evening. She was living a double life, which meant spending a lot of time finding new ways to hide it. By the end of 2002, Jonathan was in a tough, unexpected professional place. He no longer had the money that he was once earning, and his investments were starting to slow down. He had burned through the money that he already earned for the company through rounds and rounds of failing experiments, and his asthma drug was faltering within the market, making him almost no sales. The expected sales were not met, and competitors were starting to beat him out. To save the dying company, large investors stepped in and offered a life-saving amount of money, but under one condition. They required that the company fire Jonathan in order for them to keep the investment and use it for further experiments. They thought Jonathan was holding them back. Jonathan was absolutely devastated. This company was everything that he had worked for, and for decades of his life, he had spent every hour of every day pouring his energy into it. Jonathan put his research over everything else in his life, and after being let go without notice, he had nothing to show for it. His money and reputation were all wiped out from underneath him. When the company finally let him go, he felt like there was nothing else for him to work towards. Jonathan fell into a severe depressive state, and his life took a complete 180-degree turn. He was no longer the man that he used to be, and he needed to sort out where he was going next. Without his research to guide him, he felt like there was nothing else he could do with himself. This meant that for the next few months, Jonathan spent a lot more time around the house than he usually would. He was often lounging on the couch or enjoying his time sleeping in. 
He didn't have much motivation to go out and find his next venture since his last one broke his heart so badly, which meant he usually did pretty much nothing. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jonathan tried to spend a lot of time with Michelle since she was the one person that he had to rely on, but to Michelle, him spending so much time at the house meant this was the end of her fun. Michelle became notably upset around the house, but Jonathan had no idea why. She was no longer able to see Miguel because Jonathan was able to know where she was at all times of the day. She couldn't go out to see friends or run errands in the evening, and she was back to being stuck in a cage. Jonathan and Michelle began to argue a lot more than usual, and they couldn't even spend the day together without getting into a fight. Michelle felt like she was always being watched and that Jonathan would never let her do what she wanted to do. She began to feel a lot more trapped than usual, and she needed to find a way to get out. To compensate for the freedom she once had, Michelle decided to lie to Jonathan and tell him that she was enrolling in a night school. She said that she wanted to be able to earn an American education, so she was going to enroll in a course at a community college to become a certified physical trainer. A few nights a week, Michelle would leave the house late in the evening for her evening course, and then she would come back home sometime late at night, even after midnight. Surprisingly, Jonathan had no opposition to this. He didn't seem to mind that Michelle wanted to take classes at the college and let her go whenever she wanted to as long as it was for class. Michelle had found her new way out. But then, when a call came into the house phone that Jonathan picked up, everything changed. On the other end of the line was a voice he didn't recognize, letting him know that the course had been postponed for another week. Jonathan was confused for a moment. Another week? It had already begun weeks ago. He began to question where Michelle was going all these nights. If the school was letting them know that the course hadn't started yet, where had Michelle been going when she was supposedly heading to class? Suspicious of her actions, Jonathan again used his skills as a researcher to find out for himself. He couldn't confront Michelle without evidence, since she would likely find a way to lie to him. Instead, he needed to approach her when he finally knew the truth, so she had no choice but to explain herself. Jonathan started to investigate a little bit more into his wife's life to understand what was going on behind the scenes that he might not have known about before. He started with her cell phone records and searched through to see if there were any phone numbers he didn't recognize. Sure enough, there was one number that had been called frequently that he couldn't pair to anyone that he knew. These calls were happening every day, frequently. 
It surely wasn't one of her friends or family because it wasn't a number that she had saved in his phone. So he searched the number on his laptop and it was linked to a personal cell phone. The owner of the phone number was Miguel. Jonathan recognized the name as the man who was the lead of the new landscaping project. But if Michelle was on the phone with him every day, it surely couldn't always be about landscaping. If Jonathan was looking for proof that his wife was hiding something, he definitely had it now. Jonathan was furious. He had tried for so long to make his wife feel happy in their house and give her everything that she wanted. But still, she betrayed him by having an affair right under his nose. Jonathan couldn't understand why Michelle wasn't happy with the American dream that he was able to offer her. After all, he was everything that she said she was looking for. A rich, caring man who could support her to be a stay-at-home mother who never needed to worry. Clearly, along the way, something had gone wrong, and Michelle was no longer feeling the same way for Jonathan that he was for her. Jonathan didn't know how to contain his anger, and now that he had proof that Michelle was lying to him and seeing somebody behind his back, he had no choice but to speak to her about it. On the other hand, Michelle felt trapped. Michelle felt like she never had the time in her life to explore her interests or see and date other people. While Jonathan thought he was giving her everything she wanted, Michelle wanted more than just a life where she was locked inside of a house. No matter how many times she tried to convey her feelings to Jonathan, he wouldn't listen. For Jonathan to be happy, Michelle had to be in the house all the time, acting like his wife and devoted partner. But for Michelle, this just wasn't the life she wanted to live. They both clearly had different ideas of where this marriage was heading and they finally met head-on at a crossroad. In July of 2003, Jonathan finally confronted Michelle about her affair. Only he didn't tell her that he looked up Miguel's phone number. Instead, he lied and told Michelle that he had received an eerie phone call a few days prior that really upset him. He explained to his wife that he had picked up the phone to hear a recording of her having sex with another man. He recognized her voice from the tape but didn't believe that it was her at first. Or at least he didn't want to. He claimed that the person on the other end of the line demanded $500,000 or else they would release the tapes to the public. Jonathan told Michelle that he was heartbroken. Not only was he upset that his wife was having an affair, but releasing the tapes would make him appear as a failure. He didn't want the reputation that he had worked so hard for to be ruined by something that she had done. This story made Michelle feel horrible for betraying her husband. She never wanted to get in the middle of him and his work. Upset with herself, Michelle admitted to the affair with Miguel. She swore to Jonathan that she had already broken off the affair with Miguel because he had crossed a line with her. He had become too interested in their family finances and was even asking Michelle to lend him money. When their relationship became too involved with their family lives, Michelle cut him off. Jonathan and Michelle reported the phone call to the police. Michelle was so worried about her husband's career that she went along with having it investigated. After explaining to the police that they were being blackmailed for an illegal sex tape, investigators had no choice but to look into the case. Hence, the police went looking for Miguel to interview him. Before speaking to him, the police had expectations for what Miguel might be like. Jonathan had already explained to them that he was a low-end gardener that came from a broken home and had very little money. Investigators were expecting that he would stonewall them and likely be of no help to the case. 
They assumed they would have to go and find evidence on their own if they were going to make an arrest for the phone call. But when they spoke to Miguel, they realized they couldn't have been more incorrect. He was kind and welcoming and more than willing to talk to them about his relationship with Michelle. He opened up about their affair and was honest about the entire thing. So when Miguel said he knew nothing about this phone call, nor had he ever asked to borrow money from Michelle or the family, they believed him. The police ultimately had no evidence tying him to the phone call or to any of the matters that the Nices had blamed him for. The case was closed but under one condition. The police agreed to forget about the investigation as long as Michelle and Miguel had no further contact with each other. From now on, Michelle had no choice but to avoid seeing Miguel. Since she believed he had called the house to threaten them, she understood the police officer's instructions not to speak to him anymore. Jonathan finally had her back where he wanted her, locked inside the house with no one else to rely on except for him. Now that he finally had her back, Jonathan was not going to let Michelle leave so easily this time. Instead, he made more of an effort to make the relationship exactly what she was looking for. While before he was busy investing in his work and spending time at the lab, he now had time to spend at home with her and take her out on weekends. Jonathan would go to clubs with Michelle since she was younger than him and wanted to be out enjoying the nightlife. He would take her out to meet new people and to joint dinners with friends just so she would have what she wanted. In Jonathan's eyes, they finally had their relationship back and all he wanted was for their life to go back to normal. Jonathan thought that regardless of what had happened in the past, he could still achieve the fairy tale life with Michelle that he had always dreamed about. But ultimately, abandonment and betrayal cannot be so easily forgotten. On the morning of January 16, 2004, the state of New Jersey woke up to the aftermath of a horrible snowstorm. It had snowed horrendously for the entire evening and throughout the night and the streets were completely covered in slippery ice. Multiple power lines were down throughout the county that Jonathan and Michelle lived in. The local utility company was out in their vans checking on service lines and making sure that everybody was okay and everybody's house still had power. But when they came across an SUV down a ravine in a creek, they went over to check it out. This was when they discovered the body of Michelle Nice, slumped over inside her green Toyota Land Cruiser. The utility crew called the police and left the van untouched, unsure of what had happened to the woman inside. When the police arrived, they immediately recognized Michelle because of her presence in the small community. Based on the way that she was found and the condition of the vehicle, it was clear to them that this was not an ordinary accident. Michelle was covered in cuts and bruises, and there were minor damages to the car compared to what had happened to Michelle. There were also defensive wounds found on her hands, showing that she was likely in a fight before the accident. None of this evidence added up. Outside of the car, police also found footprints leading away from the driver's side door. It was clear that the accident had been staged. The SUV was found less than five minutes away from Michelle's house. The first place that investigators went was back to her home. Inside, the police found Jonathan. They explained to him what they had found and let him know that his wife was now deceased. Then they asked him a few questions, seeing if he would be able to help with the investigation. Jonathan explained to investigators that he hadn't seen his wife since about 4 or 4.30 the previous afternoon. He said that things were getting better between them and that their marriage had finally seemed to pick up. 
He told the investigators that they hadn't argued recently, regardless of what had happened in their past. Jonathan was adamant, however, that Miguel was definitely involved. After speaking to Jonathan, the next person police spoke to was Miguel de Jesus. Miguel was once again open to talking and was completely vulnerable with the police. He opened up about the affair to the new investigators, and he explained to them where he was and what had happened on the night of the homicide. According to Miguel, he did see Michelle on the night of her death. Although he was supposed to stop being in contact with her, which did happen for a while, she reached out to him at some point later on. After that, they met up and then went back to a motel that they had frequently visited during the time of their affair. They hooked up at the motel, then Miguel dropped Michelle back off at her car as he normally would and she drove away. After that, Miguel made his way over to a local bar where he met up with one of his friends for some drinks. Investigators spoke to the bartender there who actually remembered seeing Miguel at the exact time that Michelle would have been killed. This bartender remembered exactly who was with him when he ordered, so it was clear that Miguel had nothing to do with the strange accident. Police were back at square one. It seemed like the two men that were most likely to be involved with the case had clearly explained to them that they hadn't seen Michelle that night, but there were still some loose ends that needed to be tied up, so they needed Jonathan to come in and give an official statement so that he could be cleared as a suspect. At the police station, Jonathan explained that he had no involvement in the case, but as they were giving him a ride home afterwards, he volunteered some information that had investigators questioning the validity of what he had told them. Jonathan explained to them that things with their relationship were getting better, and it seemed like he and his wife were going back to normal, until they got into another fight last night. But investigators remembered that Jonathan initially told them that he hadn't seen her since about 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon. If Michelle died later that night, when did they have time to get into an argument? Jonathan immediately turned into their main suspect, and investigators had cause to search his home for more evidence. Inside the garage, they found a pair of shoes that had the soles cut up. When they reconstructed the soles, they matched the soles of the footprints that were moving away from the driver's side door of the SUV. They also found plenty of blood spatter in the garage across the walls and the floor, and even all throughout the back stairway of the house. The evidence against Jonathan was growing quickly, so investigators brought him back into the station for more interviews. When police began talking to him, it seemed like Jonathan wanted to tell them something. It's like he was itching to have a conversation with them. When he finally broke, he revealed the one thing that was on his mind. Jonathan asked the investigators if Michelle was with Miguel the night that she had died. When they confirmed that she had been, Jonathan broke down and confessed. It was about 1 a.m. when Michelle finally came back home. Jonathan met her in the garage and he was furious, asking her why she was coming home so late if she promised not to see Miguel anymore. Things were, as he said, finally looking up for her, and Jonathan felt as if he had his wife back. Realizing that she was likely still seeing the man that caused so much ruin in their relationship forced him to go into a fit of anger. Jonathan lost his temper and yelled at her about arriving home in the middle of the night, but Michelle was tired of this relationship as well and she too lost her temper. According to Jonathan, she got out of the car running at him with a stiletto in her hand. He claimed that in order to defend himself, 
He pushed Michelle to the ground, where she hit her head on the cement, but she didn't lose consciousness. She was still angry, and the only way Jonathan could think to control her was to slam her head down two more times on the concrete. Because, you know, there's no other possible way this large man could restrain this petite woman. After her head was struck on the concrete two more times, it's likely that Michelle was dead. Based on Jonathan's story, investigators believe he then put her back into the car. He drove it to where they found it in the morning and left her there. He had no time to clean up the scene and couldn't think of a better way to dispose of her body. Besides, if Michelle had gone missing, Jonathan would have been the main suspect because of his history of jealousy and controlling behavior. The best thing he could think to do was to make it seem like an accident and hope that the police didn't investigate it much further. Well, they did. Before going to court, it was clear that authorities didn't believe the story that Jonathan was telling them. Well, they did believe that he was likely behind the death of Michelle, but blaming it on an accident in self-defense was just not something they could wrap their head around. After the couple had had so many arguments and had been in so many fights in the past, they believed that Jonathan wasn't willing to let Michelle walk away free after betraying him. In court, Jonathan's defense team argued that the murder was an accident. They called it a passion provocation manslaughter, which means murder committed by accident, simply in the heat of passion. Prosecutors, however, pushed that it was first-degree murder planned and executed just how he had wanted. But juries can be easily swayed, sympathizing and understanding how Jonathan would have been so upset that his wife was cheating on him. They too agreed that this was a heat of the passion moment. Jonathan was found guilty of passion provocation manslaughter and sentenced to only seven years in prison. He was charged with one additional year for tampering with evidence. After only five short years, Jonathan was released early from his sentence. In 2020, he was charged with fraud for allegedly offering drugs to pet owners claiming they would cure their dogs of cancer. If he is convicted, he could face up to 32 years in prison, 25 more years than he got for murdering his wife. Just let that sink in. Jonathan Nice was a controlling man who attempted to keep his wife from leaving him by never letting her leave the house. She had an affair, which wasn't right, but he could have just divorced her. Instead, he murdered her like a monster. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. 
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.